What's going on, guys? It's the Rear Naked Recap, UFC 264, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now on the Mayo Media Network. I know, maybe sounds a little bit convoluted, but this is for the best. I mean, huge opportunity to be working with DraftKings. A huge card, UFC 264. Great way to start off the relationship. And man, oh man, this card was a banger with a co-main event disappointment. So lots to talk about the recap. Pumped to get into it. Might as well start right from the start. We got Zalga Zumagulov taking on Jerome Rivera. Again, if you watch anything from Zalgis in Russia, he was a badass. He was a five-round fighter. He's fighting some of the best guys in Russia. He's a Fight Nights Global Champion, which actually does mean something. Comes to the UFC, has a little bit of hype behind him, but the UFC gives him no favors. He gets Roly and Pava, you know, a killer right off the hop. Good fight. I thought he won. Judges didn't agree. And then the second time around against Amir Albazi. Again, Albazi is a once-in-Swedish prospect. Looks legit. Looks the part. So a couple bad bounces from Zalgis, but the oddsmakers didn't care. I mean, he comes in as a 385 favorite. Um, second biggest favorite on the entire card against Jerome Rivera. And Jerome Rivera, and you talk about a bad bounce for Zalgas, he's 0-2 in the UFC. I mean, Jerome Rivera has had literally no success. 0-3 in the UFC, knocked down his most recent 14 seconds, knocked down the Tyson Nam fight. Really the only fight he kind of looked good in, you know, the first round, he had some moments, knocked down the second, and then against Francisco Rivera, just grounded the whole time. He got a contract from Contender Series, and again, I mean, didn't look good on Contender Series, so his backup was against the wall. A couple people were favoring him, just being that he's a little bit sharper, faster hand speed, but you saw right from the get-go that Zalgas is just leagues above this kid. And I don't just say that in leagues and above, and that he's got the better skill set, which he does, and he's stronger, which he is, and he's got better cardio, which he had all those determining factors. It's that um, he was known as a decision guy. A lot of people were hyping him as, well, Zalgas is tough, but he's a decision guy. He's a slow starter. He's a decision guy. You know, look at his last five, six wins. They're all by decision. Has to knock down anybody since, um, you know, Arthur Babulatov, like, you know, three, four years ago. But again, you look at the level of competition he's fighting. It's all tough guys. It's all some of the top ranked guys in the, in the UFC or in the case of like a, a, Tag a Tagir Ulanbekov. Like, you know, you're going five rounds with, with highly rated prospects in Russia. You're fighting, you know, good three-round fights against some of the top 10, top 15 guys in the UFC. The fight with Jerome Rivera, even though he's a decision guy, he had the advantage everywhere. He should have made it look like a walk in the park, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, he clips Rivera early with the overhand. He's a guy that throws these, like, wild looping overhands lots. It's hard to get a gauge on. And whereas these high-level competitors are able to hit the shot and roll with it, it did noticeably sting Rivera. He's dropped down to a knee. I don't know if that's why he tries to clinch up, but as soon as he clinches up, that standing guillotine choke, modified guillotine choke, just nasty. First of all, it's not a move that you see a whole lot in the UFC. I mean, you do see the standing guillotine choke, but it's usually like a much larger, taller opponent. And it's almost always the guy like will shoot a double leg takedown. You can snag up that neck. You'll have to switch it to a, like a modified grip instead of a traditional guillotine grip. And then they'll just like yank up on the guy's head, right? In this case, it's like he just goes hand-to-hand, -hand, gets a hold of him, twists the neck. It looks like Rivera's able to twist and get out, but, like, his head's trapped in the center of uh, Zumagulov's chest. There's nowhere to go. Not only can he not breathe, but it'll feel like his neck's breaking from, like, the neck crank position, and it's a tap. So huge for Zumagulov, who picks up his first UFC win. But, but again, he was a guy that was supposed to be a top-10 guy and at least fight all those top-10 guys, and a, a rough start at 0-2. Now he shows, yeah, yeah, he's got all those skills, and he will be a factor in that top-10, maybe can reach his way to the top five. It is a thin division, 125 pounds, but solid performance for Zuma Gulov. And for Jerome Rivera, almost certainly going to be released. He's still young. He can go back to the LFA regional scene. You know, he's got some experience there. 
I don't imagine the Bellator would pick him up, but even if they did, he's not a main card guy. PFL is not interested in throwing him in a tournament. They don't even run 125-pound tournaments, so he's got limited options. But again, with his young age, I mean, there's no... He could work his way back into the UFC, although he's now on four in the UFC. A second run, he's going to have to do something magical on the regional scene. So tough spot for him. Good for Zumagulov. And I'm glad that I didn't try to chase that Zumagulov by decision prop minus 120. I'm glad I didn't try to take this over two and a half, which a lot of people were up on. Uh, in my mind, I, I, I recognize that Zumagulov has been fighting way tougher competition. This is a softball matchup. But again, I mean, results are results. And he had won his last six fights by decision. So yeah, it wasn't heavy on either side. Decided to pass on from that forefront. Bazuma Gulov's on the parlay, so we're happy we're 1-0 moving on to Brad Tavares, Amari Akhmedov. And I got a ton invested here in Brad Tavares. We got him. We got him by decision at plus 140, 130, depending on what your book was. Uh, he, he's a pretty key parlay piece, not all the, way, all the way at the top, but second line. Definitely need him here. And again, all the all the stuff going into the fight was Amari Akhmedov is strong. He's got bad cardio. He'll try to wrestle Brad Tavares down, but Brad Tavares' takedown defense just much improved. I don't want to say much improved. Like the guy kind of always had good takedown defense. You can point out to the old Romero fight where he gets taken down seven times, but <laughs> this is like a 37 year old Yul Romero. Like he was still, uh, he's still unbelievable now, but I mean, think about him back then. He was Olympic silver medalist, freestyle guy. Like, okay, sure. He took you down. No big deal. The Elias Theodoro three fights. He got taken down there. He pops back up every time. And same thing with Antonio Carlos Jr. His takedown defense looked great. And that's his most recent. And when he does get taken down, he has a, an ability to just pop right back up. That was going to be key here. Pop back up. If you do get taken down, keep the fight standing. Beat on Mariak Madoff. And I'll give on Mariak Madoff credit. His striking looked better in this fight. I think Brad Tavares was a little bit tentative, knowing that uh, Amari would shoot the takedowns. And all the takedowns in the open space, I thought he stuffed them out pretty clearly. Wins the first round, better strike. And the second round's close. The second round is close, I'll admit. Uh, again, Brad Tavares is stuffing the takedowns, but he's not throwing a ton. Like he's, he's almost not engaging him. And so Amari will wing like two or three punches. Uh, but the aesthetics there looks good. If you're a judge and you're sitting there and Brad's just kind of waiting for him to do something, maybe throwing a jab, he landed a few good jabs in that round. But Amari was kind of the one going forward. Amari was kind of the one letting his hands go. And even though the takedown attempts were getting stuffed, some judges will credit the fact that you're attempting to get the fight to the ground. So I wouldn't feel super confident saying it was 2 nothing Tavares going into the third, but the worst case scenario is it's a 1-1. And to be honest, it might very well be Tavares 2 nothing. So I'm not, I'm not overly worried. And the biggest thing here is I know if we're a 1-1 or a 2 nothing, Brad Tavares going into the third, I know it's money in the bank because Amari Akhmedov's just not a third-round fighter. Never been a third-round fighter. You know, he shows two losses on his UFC career, getting caught in the third round, knocked out. Sergio Marias knocked him out, of all people. You know, BJJ Black Belt. Nobody really saw that one coming. The Marvin Vittori fight, he got 10-8ed in the third round because he was completely gassed. That last fight with Chris Wyman, he's completely gassed. So going into the third round, it's like, yeah, we, we, we got this. Even though that second round was probably on Mario Akhmedov's. And actually, he busted up Brad a little bit too. You know, he's bleeding out of the nose. Eyes are swelling a little bit. So let's give that second round to uh, to Amari. Uh, third round, you, you just know it's going to be Brad. He's got the superior cardio, and Amari has a tendency to fall right off. And that's kind of what happens. You know, he's tired in the third round. He starts getting hit a lot more. Minute left, he's hurt. He gets dropped. He gets stunned. At this point, at this point, Paul Shaughnessy tried to warn me. You know, he's on a plus 1,800 Brad Tavares third round finish. Uh, a couple people in the community are backing it, and, and, and it's a good move, right? We know Amari falls apart in the third. And even though Brad's not really a finisher himself, when you hit a punching bag who's completely gassed out, anything can happen. And so as soon as he drops him, I'm like, oh, no. Because parlays are going to be fine, sure. But, like, I really want this plus 140 Brad Tavares by decision ticket. Like, And we're a minute away. Like, don't do this to me now. 
And uh, Amari's a tough Chechenian. Or Dagestani, sorry. He's a tough Dagestani. Like, he takes the shots. He recovers to the best of his abilities. Brad, again, doesn't really have that full uh, finishing ability, maybe, but doesn't put him away. So happy it got to decision. And, uh, and at this point, what's my worst-case scenario? Is a 29-28, you know? And being optimistic, it could be 30-27. But, uh, but yeah, realistically, it's a 29-28. Pretty clear cut. First judge, <laughs> Brad Tavares. Second judge, Mariok Madoff. Like, what, what world do we live in, man? What is going on right now? You know, laptop in the hand, about to fucking smash the floor. Woo! Pull one off. So uh, we got the split decision, but it was the rightful split decision, right? I shouldn't say we pulled one off. The rightful guy won. The right man won. Happy to cash. Happy to move 2-0. But, uh, man, MMA judging, like, just has a way of getting to you, let me tell you. So moving on, we got Jennifer Maya, Jessica I. This one I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in. Again, we got Jennifer Maya. She's lower on those parlays as far as the fight. Uh, fight this fight's going to decision, 100%. But that's marked at, like, minus 300. What do you get out of it? If you do got Maya and you do got the fight going the distance, you can get her at minus 120. But, again, I didn't really want a whole lot of investment there. And uh, it, was a, it was a close fight. People that were on Jessica I holding a plus 165 ticket probably felt good at points. But this fight really came down to one moment late in the rounds, right? So the first round is very close. Uh, Jessica I's boxing looks a lot better. Like she's got the faster hand speed. She's moving forward all the time. But Jennifer Mines, Bob and Weems, that classic shoot to box Bob and Weems, she's making it work for her. She's moving off the center line, countering one twos. The low kicks are there as well, but she's not throwing a ton of them. She lands a couple body kicks. I think this round is super close with maybe about 30, 40 seconds left in it. And then Jessica I scores the takedown. So now you get a takedown in a close round. You end the round on top little bit of ground and pound not that that mattered we got to give the ride the round to jessica i going into the second it's like okay maya had some success in the stand-up and that's where seen personally in the preview shows i thought that the striking would be close and it would be jennifer maya mixing in the takedown late in the round or at some point and that's what would seal the deal for but come the second round it's like rolls reverse it's like jessica i doesn't really want to strike as much and Jennifer Mott, that, that bob and weave counter one, two is working great. The left hook is working great. She like pivots off the jab and counters on it. The leg kicks are starting to add up a little bit. The body work is starting to add up a little bit. And Jessica I is not liking these hits, these shots. So we've got Jennifer Mott winning the striking. And then don't you know it, Jessica I decides, well, I'm just going to take this thing back down. Scores a nice takedown. And you know, when you're a BJJ black belt, we see this all the time. It's like your build as a BJJ black belt. And Jennifer Mott's case, I don't think, when she comes to mind, you're not thinking, oh, yeah, her grappling. You're thinking of her striking. A lot of people, it's like you think of their striking, but they just happen to have a black belt. And then when they're on the ground, it's like, oh, they just don't look like they've got it whatsoever. The second she got taken down, she right away went to the, the sweep, elevated the hips, you know, got out from under, gets on top, gets back to a standing position. And that's huge. That's huge because eyes starting to slow down. She didn't want to strike, which is why she engaged the wrestling. And whereas it worked in the first round, got the takedown and was able to secure a little bit of top position. The fact that you just pop back up right away, that's huge. We also know that Jessica I struggles mightily to make 125 pounds. She's fought in the UFC at 135. She's missed weight, uh, her uh, two fights at, at uh, 125 against Cynthia Calvillo. And the fi prior fight was Vivian Arroyo. She missed the Arroyo fight by like six pounds. And that's her last win. So when she stands back up from that botched takedown or got swept and didn't like the striking, now it's like, woo, you know it's going downhill for her. And so the striking now starts to go towards Jennifer Maya and then just absolutely busts her head open. Nasty cut in a really good spot in terms of where cuts are. You don't want it on the eyelid. You don't want it over the eyebrow. Uh, in terms of right in the middle of your forehead, it's going to bleed straight down. You're likely going – you're going to be a little bit visually impaired, but uh, – you know, could be worse. Ref's not going to stop it. Doctor's not going to stop it. Fair enough. But there's a lot of blood, and it just looks bad. It looks bad for the judges. 
even if this thing's a one-one now, it's a one-one, right? Jess Guy wins the first, and uh, Jennifer Maya wins the second. Again, and, and when I say it's the one big moment, it's that late takedown wins the first for I, and it's that late, you know, cut probably that seals the deal for Jennifer Maya. It is a close fight, but momentum's in, in Jennifer Maya's corner, and now going into the third. You know, you've got a fighter that's busted up and bleeding. It's just, again, it's not going to look good for the judges. I fought a good fight. You know, she fought to the best of her abilities. She's a world-class opponent, but she's a world-class opponent in the sense that she can go out there and go three rounds with quite literally anybody at 125 or 135. She's durable. She's got a good skill set. She's a veteran, but that doesn't mean you're going to win those fights. And Jennifer Mai shouldn't have been a two-to-one favorite, and this was a dicey close fight. Um... But yeah, she showed why that she's the one advancing in the division. She shows why. You know, she won a round over Valentina Shevchenko. That means something. Uh, was it a fluky round to win? Absolutely. But the fact that she went the distance of Valentina Shevchenko, something that Jessica I certainly could not do, again, it all it all means something. So the price might have been a little bit off, but the rightful winner got the job done. It was a, it was a fun fight. I like this fight. And uh, yeah, it, was a, it was a pleasure to watch. But if you did catch that Maya by decision, minus 120, congrats. If you used Maya... On any of your upper parlays, I'm sure that was a sweep, but we, we had her on the lower, and she hits. We're all good with that. Knight's looking good. Drake is two places versus Trevin Giles. So uh, if you if you know me by now, love these decisions, love these fights that are going to go to decision. Because think about training eight weeks, twice a day, maybe three times a day, sole focus. Everything you do is committed to this one act that may take up to 15 minutes. There's one moment in time that may last 15 minutes, two months of preparation. Time away from your wife and kids, eating crap that you do not like, not going in to see your friends, all the sacrifice that goes in to fighting 15 minutes, and you're going to tell me you can't you can't do it? More often than not, these are world-class competitors. They get in there. I get style clashes. I get all that. But like more, more often than not, I, I, I always give them the benefit of the doubt, unless they show that they're chinny or not durable. I always give them the benefit of the doubt that it's like they've they've prepared so much for this that they'll, they'll make the three rounds, right? With Drake's two places, uh, you're not going three rounds with this guy. You're either going to put him out or he's going to put you out. But when you look at a nice little shiny 15-2 uh, and two record going in, more often than not, you're the one getting finished. So again, he's got 17 pro fights, all of which have ended inside the distance. This under two and a half, which was minus 120, is like is like the easiest ticket that you're going to hit tonight, right? If he wins, which we, we were backing him, he's on some of the parlays again low because he's a volatile fighter and he's a little bit chinny himself. But you know this thing's not going over two and a half, regardless of if Giles likes to take his time, this and that. He's got enough power that he'll either sleep Drykus or he's going to get slept or guillotine choked in the process. So we hit the under two and a half, and then furthermore, I got Drykus. I like this guy. He's up. Uh, South African fighter, best South African fighter probably ever. Finally surpassed my boy, Trevor Prangley. I love me some Trevor Prangley. But this kid's just nasty, man. And for all of his faults defensively, he's got nasty leg kicks. He's going to demobilize you. He's got like eight wins by guillotine choke. I think it's nine submission victories, maybe seven of them by guillotine choke. And he's got some heavy, heavy hands. But he's aggressive and he forces the action on you. With Trevin Giles, you see he's so lackadaisical in there. You know, he's a he's a full-time police officer. That kind of would have to make him a part-time fighter. We've seen him face some adversity in some of his fights. Uh, the Zach Cummings fight, namely, where he gets dropped and submitted with the guillotine choke in the third round. Uh, you saw him rebound from that fight with Gerald Mearshart, where he was tired and hurt in the third round, submitted with the guillotine choke. The wins he's had since then, James Crow split decision, dude's a 55er and 12 hours notice like none of that none of that looked good so if someone's going to win this fight we're backing Drakus. we take Drakus. if Drakus is going to win this fight how do you think it's going to go down now i thought he could get the knockout but i really was hammering this narrative that he would probably snatch up his neck so i didn't want to get caught in having one side or the other so i just took the inside the distance 
That was the uh, prop on Drykus, plus 165. Nice, generous price tag. And Drykus is the man, dude. I like this guy. He's going to be a fan favorite. Win or lose. Win or lose. You know what you're going to get out of him. And I really like that he went to the light kicks right away. I mean, Giles stands kind of flat-footed. He's more of a boxer. He likes to set up his hands. And the, I made a comparison between him and Ike Villanueva from that Marcin Pracnion fight where it's like, Ike's got hands. You know, he can hurt you. But he's so flat-footed in a boxer's stance we know it happens to boxers in MMA. You got to bounce, you got to move, you got to check kicks. And these guys are so flat-footed so that they can deliver, you know, some power shots that uh the, the leg is right there. Dragus gets at the leg right away. Dragus did mention in the post fight, he's like everyone said jabs uh Giles had a really fast jab. He's like I can attest to that. It's very fast. You know, snap me a few times. But he wasn't bothered by anything. With good game plan by Giles to try to counter the leg kick with the jab, but really what's going to do more damage? that one singular jab that pops him once in the face or him hammering down on your thigh or your calf. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say that that battle was going to go towards Drykus. And then as soon as Giles got a little bit desperate, similar to where Ike Villanueva, the leg starts to hurt. So you try to force the action. Um, that's when he got caught. I'll admit Drykus did good work the entire first round, won the first round, end of the first round. Um, he ends up on top. He snags up that neck, but there's only like 10 seconds left. And, and and again, I mean, I've been telling everybody all week, like watch out for the guillotine choke. Like I was like, oh shit, doesn't get the job done. In the second round though, however, oh my God, what a pull, you know, a pull and release right hand. Absolutely knocks him out. What a shot by Dreykus. And I mean, yeah, Trevin Giles is down the whole way out. I mean, to me, that's a few thousand dollar bonus. Like, it's a highlight real KO. Dreykus now moves to 2-0 and in the UFC. His two wins, Eric Perez and Trevin Giles, both by knockout. And both guys are pretty... Okay, Giles is not the most durable guy. I guess knocking him out in the second round is impressive. Let's say he's not the most durable. Perez is super... Or Marcus Perez, not Eric Perez, but Marcus Perez is super durable. So this kid's clearly got a lot of power. He's got that submission game. He's he's wild. He's wily. He's on a nice little winning streak. The loss to Soul Deech, who's one of the top guys in the world. Like, it's all looking good for Dreykus. And again, look for him to be an exciting guy moving forward. Hopefully, they don't rush him along too fast. Like, I'd like to see him fight some more mid carders like this, and you know, uh, have some of these entertaining fights. Maybe collect a few bonuses. And if he can go on a prolonged win streak and show he's the real deal, then yeah, definitely give him a title shot. Now, I got to do a quick read for DraftKings because again, they're making this all possible. We're no longer on CJ MMA. We're on Pat Mayo Network, and this is. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. So um, I actually don't even mind making this read because it actually makes a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, first and foremost, like I'm, I'm not one of these guys that ever wanted to wear a Pepsi t-shirt because Pepsi wanted me to wear it. But with DraftKings Sportsbook, they are the leading sportsbook in the world. I mean, they've only been launched a few years and you can see the ways they're making. We're all UFC fans. That's why you're watching this video right now is UFC. And you can see how the UFC is using them as their primary book. They're, you're seeing the lines in between fights. I mean, they are the top-level stuff. They've got props on all these fights. They've got live in-game wagering on this stuff. So it makes too much sense. Um, essentially, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. Not only do they do MMA, because again, we're all MMA fans, but they also cover uh, hockey, baseball, any of the major sports. They're secure, reliable. You can deposit, withdraw your funds, anytime convenience. If you use the Dog or Pass podcast, like the DOP promo code, you get a bonus as well. And they're huge on giving new members these rollout, these, these great promotions. As If you watch Dog or Pass this week, the promotion was 264 to 1, one dollar bet, create an account, one dollar bet, they'd give you 264 to 1 if the fight ended by knockout in the first round. And it did. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, whatever. It was a broken ankle at the five minute mark, but uh, you cash that 260, uh, 264 to one. Good stuff. And uh, I, I know, like, if you're into NBA, they're doing uh, stuff for like 150 to one first time people, or you can use the promo code. You get in there, you can bet the NBA finals, and they just have tons of cool stuff. So, anyways, you can download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DOP when you sign in, and you can turn one dollar to $150 in free credit. It's a free rollover. So you get your free credit. We hit some parlay. Stephen Thompson doesn't blow it. And you you win big. Or you take the safe way out. Don't put Stephen Thompson on it. And uh, and you can certainly do really good. Anyways, it's your choice. Uh, you can bet on baseball. You can bet on basketball. It's your choice uh, for the next game. And if they do claim the $150 is free credits, that's promo code DOP for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. You got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Remember, it's only gambling problem if you're losing. If Stephen Thompson would have won, you don't have to call that number because we're all killing it. A loss, things do not go our way, but we're still a little couple fights away from that. Ilya Tapuri versus Ryan Hall. This wasn't really an MMA match. This wasn't a fight. Uh, it was tough to watch, certainly. Uh, it's... It, you can't come into an MMA fight with just jiu-jitsu. Now, mind you, that's being a little harsh on Ryan Hall, who's been winning fights in the UFC. However, fans aren't paying to watch that. If they were grappling fans, they would go to jiu-jitsu tournaments. If that was their sole thing, then you can go watch high-level grappling much better than this, you know, on a on a, a whole platform of various shows. But he's an MMA fighter. Uh, he hasn't really competed in jiu-jitsu in years almost 10 years competitively he's never won any tournaments as a black belt competitively although he's a world champion as a brown belt and a purple belt ryan hall is a great jiu-jitsu guy but in the world of jiu-jitsu he's not a top player but in the world of mma well these guys don't know jiu-jitsu as much you can make it work but it's just not fair like it's moist gracie shit some moist gracie shit only the other guys also happen to know jiu-jitsu this time around and when he was able to go out there against artem lobov and just backpacking the whole time it was extremely boring nobody wanted to see it but, you know, it's effective, and he gets the job done. He goes out there against Gray Maynard. Oh, man, pretty solid performance against Gray Maynard. The BJ Penn stuff, that was dope. The Darren Elkins fight, again, hard to watch, but you see a, a variety of kick. And now he's on a four-fight winning streak. And now you now you have to book the guy, but no one on the division wants to fight him. The UFC's not in a real, a real hurry to book him. And you see why, man. I mean, somebody on Twitter hit me up, and they were like, he's basically just a more experienced version of Chase Hooper. You know, in a lot of ways, that's a very, very good comparison. I mean, neither guy has any striking. Now that guy has any wrestling. Uh, it, it's just like a 100% reliant on getting you to the ground. The difference here is that Chase Hooper is really young, and you can see on oh, the strengths he's working on a little bit. Man, oh, maybe he's working on his wrestling a little bit. With Hall, it's like this is him. This is him. He's a refined version of himself. He's going to flop to his back. If he gets a knee bar, great. If he gets a quick leg lock, great. If he's able to take your back and backpack you, great. If none of that happens, this is going to be a very tough-to-watch fight. And this is exactly what it is. Taporia fought smart game plan. He's super tentative early because he realizes exactly what Ryan Hall is going to do. And that's a Imanari roll. Try to go for the leg. I really thought that Hall would probably try to just shoot in at the very least, create a scramble or try to fish for double underhooks. If you can get double underhooks, you can shuck them off. You can try to work your way to the back, jump off the cage, get the back, try to backpack them, try to neutralize them like that. Kind of similar to what he did to Artem Lobo. In this case, it's like Tapuri's a little brick shit house. You know, he's ripped up. He's strong. He's a little fire hydrant of a man, and he's pressing forward on you. So he was not willing to shoot an actual takedown. Instead, he would just. It's not even really an Imanari role. It was more like, oh shit, I forget his name. He's a badass American grappler. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Jeff, it's not current. Obviously, Jeff Kern's a big fraud from WC. 
it doesn't matter, right? It's like it's like they they present their ass to you, and as you come in, they just try to like flop down on your leg. And in jiu-jitsu, it's tough to watch. Nobody really likes guard pullers. Again, even in the world of competitive jiu-jitsu, where it's like the match starts and they just sit on their ass, it's like you kind of favor go out there and get a takedown. Takedowns are cool. Get this guy to the ground, not just sit there. Ryan Hall just sit there time and time again. It's getting frustrating. Tapori is not really landing anything, but it's just it's his rinse and repeat. Same thing. Sit down. So then he starts to figure it out. Yo, this guy's bending straight down i was soccer kicked him straight in the face it wasn't like he was touching the ground he would just bend over but to put timed it with a knee instead right hit him with the knee that did a little bit of damage he cooked him with a straight right to the body that noticeably got a, a grimace out of ryan hall and he was kind of backing up and then late in the round it's like i think he hears the 20 second clap or he's coach there's no 20 second clapper uh coach must tell him there's 20 or 30 seconds left and Tapuri is a black belt as well. So whereas he does not want to engage Ryan Hall one minute into the fight or two minutes into the fight, 20 seconds into the fight, or sorry, 20 seconds left in the round, come on. Now you can engage him. And uh, yeah, as soon as he did, man, hammer fist, hammer fist, hammer fist. I don't know if Hall's trying to search for the leg, but he's not protecting his face. Again, this is not MMA. He's trying to do. It's jiu-jitsu. And as he leaves himself vulnerable, he stiffens up. The ref should have stopped it immediately. I don't know why he allowed those two or three follow-up shots. On one hand, got Tapuria high. He's not, he's a top-ticket guy. He's at minus 220. Um, some books offered it at minus 250. That's why I get a good book, man. Get with DraftKings Sportsbook. But regardless, that was I, I thought that was a gift of a line still. Where I did screw up is I did chase that Tapuria by decision because I thought Hall would just continuously fall to his ass the entire time, just not take that much damage. And I'll admit about four... Four and a half minutes into the first round, I'm feeling really good about the decision. But I was like, you're just going to keep doing this all fight. And then, uh, you know, a good corner man happened to mention Deporio. There wasn't a whole lot of time left engaged him. And he smashed uh, Ryan Hall into oblivion. So Ryan Hall, now this is his second pro loss. And he had never been knocked out. His first pro loss, 2006, lost by decision. And he did lose an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter against Saul Rogers, again, by decision. So knocking him out and finishing him does mean something. And for Deporio, he had, like, never knocked out anybody. He was a submission guy from Spain that no one had really heard of beats Yusuf Zalal as an underdog in his debut cashed a good ticket that night on him but again it was by decision and then his last two fights Damon Jackson and now Ryan Hall maybe not the most durable guys going but still like uh he's got back-to-back -back knockout wins now so you're seeing the versatility in his game he's still only 24 years old he can grapple he's got good takedowns good takedown defense cardio could still be a question mark the fight was Zalal was on short notice so it's kind of understandable he'd gas a little bit there uh and then his last two fights have ended in the first round. So maybe somebody could extend him late and, and, and take advantage there, but he's only 24 years old. Like he's going to be getting better. He's going to be getting at a, better at a much quicker rate and, you know, scary, scary prospect for sure. So where does Ryan Hall go from here? I would suggest the UFC cuts him. Now, whereas a lot of people would say, oh man, that's crazy. What are you talking about? He just won four fights in a row and then lost one big deal. It's four and one. So that's, that's not the problem, right? Look at Jared Rochelle. Jared Rochelle was six and two in the UFC and uh, he routinely beat guys. The problem is, is that he would just take these guys down, hold these guys down. The crowd would boo. Nobody liked it. Twitter would blow up laughing at him and he would still win the fight. So now you've got a guy that you were trying to move up the division. Who's just effectively lost a fight to Jared Rochelle. They moved down the packing order and yet it's just not good for business. So they get rid of him. He goes to PFL and whatever. He smothers a few guys there and then, Turns out he's just not all that good. I, I would say the same thing as with Ryan Hall. What do you what do you do? Do you rebook him against somebody? Who does he fight? You know, nobody really wants to fight him. They've been booking him some strange matchups. Gray Maynard, BJ Penn, what's going on here? C could he come back and fight? Sure. Does he seem like the guy that wants to come back and fight? I don't know. He seems super disappointed in the post, like uh, you know, 
obviously he's disappointed he just got knocked out but immediately he's like you know what happened he looks deflated he hasn't fought in two years he's pulled out of a couple fights due to injury i believe he's 34 years old now his style is just so unbelievably one-dimensional i could i could see this being the last we see ryan hall Tapuri, meanwhile uh, buckle up you're gonna be seeing him lots you're going to be excited we're three for three cashing tickets on him and uh, he just progressively looked better every time so i mean i can't say he looked better in this fight than he did in the J david jackson fight but again it was hard to look good in this fight. It was it, how do you deal with that crap? But he did. He did, and he got the first round knockout. What more could you ask? Michelle Pereira versus Nico Price. At this point, if we're keeping tally, we're five and zero, right? We're five and zero. This is two fights left in the prelims. Feeling good about things. Um, we got Nico Price is officially the first underdog that we're publicly backing, right? Because we got Tapuria, Drakus, Jennifer Meyer, Brad. Yeah, yeah. So he's the first underdog that we're publicly backing. Even though we've hit a couple plus money uh, decision prop tickets, this is our first straight up underdog, Nico Price versus Michelle Pereira. Uh, Pereira, I think a lot of the reason why I took Nico Price is I thought crowd would get to him. He would do some of that crazy stuff. He'd burn himself out. He does not have a good gas tank. And he's probably the biggest 170-pound fighter you'll ever see. Like, maybe not the tallest guy going, but my God, is he just built with muscle. And when you move that well, when you're, everything is fast-twitch muscle, everything's super explosive, like, how can anybody keep that going for 15 minutes, let alone a jacked-up, deezed-up guy like this? And how is he going to keep doing this for 15 minutes? So, yeah, maybe he knocks out Nico Price in the first round, but if he doesn't, Price should start working his way back into this one and maybe even hit a, a live Nico Price ticket if he could survive that first round. Kind of how it played out in the first. I thought Nico gave a good account of himself for three minutes. You know, he landed a couple good leg kicks. He was pressing for takedowns, got, got him up against the cage, shooting for that double leg. Uh, everything was stuffed out because Michelle Pereira was a, uh, he was a hell of a well man, right? It was very difficult to pull him down, but at least Price is pushing the action. And then about two minutes left in the round, it's still close, but I got it favored Nico Price. Um, Michelle Pereira lands... He glances with like two decent shots and then smacks him with a back fist. It kind of wobbles Nico Price. It's the best shot combination that was landed in the round. It was the only thing damaging that was landed in the round. It's now a Michelle Pereira round. And as soon as he does kind of hurt him, he doesn't pounce on him. But now he's the aggressor. So Nico Price is no longer moving forward. Michelle Pereira is the one moving forward. He's the one looking to engage. He does rock him again later in that first round. This is a, you know, it's a competitive round, but it's a Michelle Pereira first round. Second round, Price is going to have to work his way back into this one for sure. He's down 0-1. And, and I don't feel bad about ne betting Nico Price. If I could go back in time, well, if I could go back in time, I guess I would bet Pereira. But if I could do it all over again, they were fighting again next week or a month from now or two months from now, I, I think I, I'm comfortable with going Nico Price. I don't think that was the bad read. What I do think is that he got, bu he got a bum round. He had a bum round through no choice of his own. Hear me on this. So he loses the first round. He's down 0-0 versus Pereira. Oh, sorry, 1-0 versus Pereira. Going into the second, the fight starts. I mean, he gets glanced in the balls, right? He gets a groin shot. He noticeably reacts to it. Ref, one of the worst refs you'll see going, doesn't do nothing about it. Joe Rogan, who was awful all night, like just unbelievably awful all night, is like body shot, he's hurt. Body shot, he's hurt. Nico Price is holding his groin and looking at the ref. No, no, Joe believes it's a body shot. Joe signals in, can I have a look at that? And for whatever reason, this is the biggest pay-per-view of the year. It's a Conor McGregor fight. You're in Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena, you know, expensive pay-per-view. Can I see that again? Which they do all the time. And then like a minute, or I don't know, a minute later, 10 seconds later, he's like, oh, uh, I guess we can't look at it. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll see between rounds. And then it's never mentioned again. But he gets glanced in the groin strike. Now Pereira tries to pounce on him because he's a dirty fighter. And he did this again in the third round, which we'll get to. But as soon as he smokes you in the balls and you're just like, oh, shit, he's, he's trying to pounce on you and put you away, right? The fight hits the ground, and then this is the second bum move for Nico Price. 
He's on the, his back. He's got great up kicks, right? He's been using them all night. Knocked out James Vick with one. He seems comfortable there. And Pereira launches his backflip. It's super cool. I mean, how do you not like that? Super dope. But as he lands, his leg smacks Nico Price smack in the head. Now, if you're Nico Price, you're lying on your back. You're a downed opponent. The backflip's cool, whatever. And a lot of people are like, dude, he backflipped right into Mount. No, he did not backflip into Mount. He backflipped over top of the guy and smacked him in the head with his leg. And when Nico Price, eating this fucking leg in the head, looks at the ref, it, it, now he sinks in and Mount. So not only did he just get groin strike early in the round, he, he technically just ate an illegal kick to a downed opponent. And as he looks to the ref to be like, oh shit, you're not allowed to do that. Dum Dum is a terrible ref. He's just, uh, he's just not quick to it. So now you got Pereira right into full mount. And Pereira's gas, man. He's not doing anything with mount. He's going for an Americana. He's a BJJ black belt as well, by the way. One of these guys, of course, he's got a black belt. The wall's being a striker. He's going for an Americana. Like, it's 2021, man. It's not 1997. The, why don't you can opener while you're at it? What are you doing? Tries for it. Tries for it a second time. Nico Price then works his way back up. And now it's where he's in an insurmountable hole, right? There's a minute and a half left in this round. And essentially, he because of the groin strike, they don't see, oh, he's hurt to the body. Then he gets swarmed a bit. Then he gets taken down. Then he gets uh, sweet backflipped. And then, uh, and then he's in a full mount. None of this round's going good for him, right? But it should have never been there in the first place. And so when he does get up with a minute and a half left, he's just swarms on. Prayer is tired. Nico Price has got good cardio. He's not hurt. He's taken everything Prayer has given him. He gives it right back. If this was pride, you might be inclined to score that second round for Nico Price because he's the one up. He's the one at it. He's the one charging forward. But you can't discredit the first three and a half minutes of the round. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad decision. It was the right decision. What I am saying was it was a bad round. It was a bad round where things happened to Nico Price that were outside of his control, and that led to him being in this giant hole with only 90 seconds to fight his way out of it, finishes up very strong. You have a strong impression that in the third round he's live. Unfortunately, he is down to nothing on the scorecard. That's the way the scorecards work. So he needs a finish. So he comes out in the third round. Pereira's huffing and puffing. And so what does Pereira do? He smokes him right in the groin with an illegal strike. Not only that, as Nigo Price, who's now just absorbed the second illegal strike of the, of, of the fight, curls over, he bum rushes him like he's going to storm his ass. And thank God the referee for the first time decides to use his senses and stops him like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, this is where it's excellent tactical work by Pereira, but he's a greasy, dirty fighter, right? You get one minute in between rounds. As tired as you may be, you just fought a man for five full minutes. You're now afforded one minute between rounds. In fact, by the time the cage door opens and your corner runs in there and puts the stool and opens the bottle of water and you sit down, you might only have like 45 seconds to even acknowledge anything they're saying. Then this thing buzzes where they're like, corner out, corner out, and your corner's like, all right, peace, dude, and they're gone. Right, and you actually only get two of those breaks in the course of the fifteen-minute fight. One after the first, one after the second. When you hit a guy in the groin, right, regardless of if he's going to take the full five minutes, any amount of time he takes is good for business. And in this case, Nico Price was visibly hurt from it, but he knew I need to knock this guy out. In, in uh, the more time I take, I'm letting him off the hook. He knew that, so he needed to rush in there as fast as he could. And I believe he took about. 90 seconds keep in mind Pereira just had a minute this is the beginning of the third round and now he's just got another minute and a half and so the round starts he's moving a little bit better but I mean Price is still on him and then Price has his best round Price rocks him a few times he starts putting it on him and listen the the, 
the round ends, you know, again, Nico Price gave a good account of himself. He's a warrior. He's a fan favorite. Like he said, going into the fight, he's like, um, I want to fight a lot more strategic, but I also like the uh, the admiration I get from my fellow fighters. I, I like the admiration I get when I walk into the room because everybody knows he's a fighter's fighter. And he proved that tonight. You know, it was like a Nate Diaz-esque, you know, he, he was losing the early portion and uh, he's just never, you got to put him away or he just keeps coming at you. So that was cool. You could tell he was tired. That last exchange, he's just throwing everything to the wind. But there's no zip on it. He is tired. He's been off for, you know, a year plus because of the marijuana suspension. Tough spot for Nico Price, but he fought all the way through. I got to admire his heart. I got to admire the commitment. He came back in relatively good shape considering the layoff. All that stuff was good stuff. It really just came down to a bum second round. Now, if I'm a judge and uh, I'm a human being, I'm a realist. I might have been inclined to score the third round a 10-8 and give it a draw just because I saw the dirty fouls. I saw the fact that the guy, I don't know, just because the ref's not calling it as a judge, you're seeing it. You should know this stuff. And in the third round, even though it probably wasn't really a 10-8 round, it was definitely the best round, right? Nico Price hurt this guy. Nico Price swarming this guy. Give me another minute in this fight. Who knows what happens? He's looking to put him away. It's the most definitive of the prior two rounds. Second round was pretty definitive until Nico Price got up. Turn the tide. That third round is the most definitive. It's a close fight. I don't really feel Pereira deserves to win. I don't really feel that Nico Price deserves to lose. I might have been inclined to bet it a draw, but 29-28 all three, you know right away it's Pereira. It is Pereira, and I'm not going to complain about it. It's just I didn't I didn't feel like I was fully off on that read. Pereira is a guy that you're going to look to fade moving forward. He's got a suspect gas tank. His options are moved to 185, where it would be a, a much lesser weight cut. Maybe he'd have a little more juice in the tank. But 185 is going to be massively undersized. Brad Tavares is not a power puncher. Could you imagine if it was him said Nico Price bearing down on you? They're, they're bigger men. They're thicker men. They pack more shots. Your little flashy dancing stuff, your Superman punch, it's not going to affect them. And when it doesn't affect them, you're in some shit. So at 85, prayer is just going to be a factor. I know he fought in Korea at like 220. That, that's Korea. Freak show fights. Here in the UFC, 85, no, not going to work for him. So he has to continuously make 170 where he's way too big. His style just leads to him gassing out. And whereas he burst into the UFC as like the most exciting guy on the roster, did flying knee, look what he did to Hot Chocolate Roberts, L look what he's doing, he's doing backflips, he's running off the cage. His last like, what, four four fights now are all, all decisions? More of a decision guy, right? He's taking his time because he doesn't want to burn himself out. That flashy stuff's not quite there anymore. He, he I just not, it wasn't a very good performance for Pereira. I think if anybody's stock went up, it would have been prices, even though he lost. But that's MMA, man. Those are the bounces. You want the bounces to go your way? They're not always going to. Dems to breaks. Max Griffin versus Carlos Condit. Again, this was a strange one to score because I thought it was a walk in the park for Griffin and that the judges should have sided with him. But Joe Rogan, he's got to be Carlos Condit's best friend. Like, like outside of the first round, I suppose. Every time Carlos would throw a glancing blow, something that I would miss, something that was blocked, it was he's finding his rhythm, the momentum's in his corner. And meanwhile, you've got a, he, you've got Max Griffin is, is working, man. He's doing work. He's doing the leg kicks. He's snapping punches. He's landing that left hook. And it's like, hey, look at Tyron, man. Not, definitely fell off in the first round. It's like, what do you want? What do you want out of this? But anyways, the fight as a whole, Griffin looks spectacular in the first round. He clearly watched the Tyron Woodley versus Carlos Condit fight just to see that leg is so vulnerable. It's there all day. You can just work it. But you know what? Once that leg doesn't hurt his ACL or his MCL, Condit did an excellent job of absorbing all those kicks, but that's a lot of kicks to absorb in that first round. He outstrikes him, I believe, 33 to 11 in the first, and then good, just for good measure, drops him but a minute left. Here's the only mistake I'd say he made in that first round. Nobody's knocking out Carlos Condit. Like, it's not going to happen. The flash knockdown, that's cool. 
pretty solid. Um, but Max Griffin's not exactly a cardio machine. So when he dropped him, he thought I can finish this fight was not the move similar to like Ryan James in that Charles Rosa fight, right? When he went for that submission, not submitting Charles Rosa, right? Your best opportunity is just to back away, keep this thing standing and try to go for him. And the Max Griffin's thing is the same thing. It's like, he's hurt. Sure. The best thing you can do is back away, let him stand up and work his leg a little bit, but getting on top of him and throwing 20, 30 punches from a ground and pound position, you're going to tire yourself out. And when he went for that finish, I think he did leave a little something in it. You know, the round ends con. It's fine. You know, he's not, he's not hurt at the end of the round. But that's a 10-8 round. How's that not a 10-8 round? You three to one outstruck this guy. You completely mauled out his leg. And I don't mean just like, oh yeah, he was landing some dinky leg kicks. Like, no, he's spinning this guy around in a 360. He's noticeably chopping up the leg. His hand speed is way faster. He's bopping him up to the head. Left hook's landing. He scores a knockdown. He, despite not getting a finish, lands some good ground and pound. How is that not a 10-8 round? So as a personal level, as a guy who's got Max Griffin high up on some parlays. And we've got Max Griffin plus 140 by decision ticket. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. We got a 10-8. You know, that's a pretty good start to the fight. Second round, it's like, oh shit, Griffin probably did leave something trying to finish Condit in the first. Because I will admit, Condit's definitely working his way back into the fight. But here's the perception, right? A guy gets his ass kicked in the first round. In the second round, he's fighting better. It's a closer round. Everybody now just assumes, well, it's his round. Because he fought better than he did in the first. But you actually have to look at the round as a whole. Condit would move forward. He'd let the left hand go. Like, oh, it was like a lazy jab. You know, he would switch stance a lot. He'd go straight left in. He's throwing the hook actually worked. His best punches were that body shot. You know, he'd dip off the center line and go left shot to the body. I think he was getting some attention there. But most of it's blocked. Most of it's not landing. And it, again, it comes down to the visuals. Max Griffin, meanwhile, is still landing the better shots. He's still outworking him. But he does not look nearly as good as he did in the first round. And Carlos Condit looks a lot better in the second round. So now there's just a narrative that Carlos Condit is winning this round. And Joe's drumming it up. Joe's drumming it up. But if you just looked at the fight as one individual round, I would be inclined to score it for Max Griffin. I know that's not the popular opinion, but pretty much everybody scored it for Carlos Condit. That's okay. Close round. You know, I think we can all admit that. But don't tell me the first round wasn't a fucking 10-8. The first round's a 10-9, and now this round you're telling me is a 10-9 content? This is an even fight? How is this an even fight? And then sure enough, you know, UFC likes to put up those little tweets, and everyone's like, look at this 19-19. It's like no one had a 10-8 first round. And they all gave Carlos Condit the second. And now there's like a feeling in the pit of my stomach, I'm about to get fucked because – it's a 1-1 going into the third. I'll admit Griffin looks like he is tiring, even though I thought he did okay in that second. And uh, yeah, Conant's savvy, dude. He's still here. You know, he's a veteran of the game. If he squeaks out this third round, even if it's just a close third round, they're in Vegas. Everybody knows Carlos Condit. He's a fan favorite. He's the old dog. He's the old war dog. You know who he is. As a judge sitting cage side in a close round, he's a legend. He fought, dude, he got his ass kicked in the first round. He's done a really good job of fighting his way back into this fight. You might be inclined to give a close round to Carlos Condit. I don't want that. I do not need that. And uh, Griffin caught a second win, man. He looked way better in the third round. Mind you, he came out a little bit hot the first 90 seconds, maybe. Back to the leg kicks, back to these striking combinations, back to backing him up, letting his hands go a little bit. But it's like, dude, there's five minutes in this round, you know? Maybe, maybe hang out the first minute or two and then put it on them. Judges remember that. Judges do not remember when you put it on them the first 90 seconds and then late in the fight. They just don't, man. They never they never award the first half of the round. They just don't. We'll talk about that in the Stephen Thompson fight. 
They only care about what happened in the last two minutes, regardless of if it was anything. If it's a dominant position, that's how you're going to score it. So uh, Griffin did a good job. I mean, he got on with the striking. Condit tried to get the fight to the ground. Great takedown defense by Max Griffin, even though he's probably tired. Uh, did everything he needed to do. Ended up getting like a slight takedown of his own. But just worked up. Landed the better strikes. Grinds him up. This is this is this is clear cut. How could it not be a 29-28 across the board? But the first round should have been a 10-8. I don't know. I guess people disagree with me. But the right guy won. We're happy about that. The parlays move on. The prop bet hits. Um, the night's looking good so far. And uh solid for Griffin. I mean, with Carlos Condit, the one the one issue that Condit's gonna now have is that he loses six fights in a row and everyone's like, well, he can't. You know, he can't grapple. Take down defense. Take down defense. Take down defense. Then he beats Corey McGee in a kind of a lackluster fight. And then he beat Matt Brown in kind of a lackluster fight. And now he just lost a straight-up striking battle, right? There was no wrestling involved. So now you can't even write him excuses. It's like, he, no, he can't wrestle. No, he can't fight anybody that's going to look to take him down. But he also can't really strike with anybody that's a decent striker. Griffin's 35. They kept, they kept saying... uh Oh, he's fighting the young buck. Oh, he's fighting. And and I guess what they meant by that was the experience. But like Griffin's 35 years old. He's only three years younger than him. And he's, he's got quite a bit of pro experience himself. He's been fighting in the UFC for a while. I believe he's now six and six in the UFC with that victory. So for Condit, you just lost to a guy that was previously five and six in the organization. You got outstruck by him. That's the one thing you had left was your striking. You know, yeah, maybe they bring him back, uh, especially with Nick Diaz on the roster. Like, why not let him fight Nick Diaz or Robbie Lawler? Whoever wins the Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler rematch should fight Carlos Condit. Great times, right? Get a rematch out of that. Those type of legend fights he can do. He can do. But fighting a young whippersnapper, fighting a 35-year-old whippersnapper, like, he's just, uh, he, he's not to it. So main card starts. Prelims have gone pretty good. Five and one, six and one in the prelims, sorry. Um, props are hitting all, all's good. Sean O'Malley, Chris Moutinho. This is going to be easy money. He's 10 to one. Why would you even include him in parlays? You know, the angle to attack on this would be a Sean O'Malley by knockout. And a lot of people are going for that Sean O'Malley inside the distance, which was still like four to one, you know? And, uh, this is, this was a, uh, capper's nightmare. This is a, someone who tapes fights nightmare because when you tape Chris Moutinho, he's very hittable and tends to go down. When you watch Sean O'Malley, it's like, yeah, he's he's very quick. He's got a nasty jab. He'll switch stances, go to the right hand. He's got power. He's knocked out better men than this. And this is a guy taking the fight on a few days' notice who you wouldn't think is going to be in great shape. He is hittable, doesn't have a great chin. It is just a recipe for disaster. And you can watch all of Moutinho's body of work, and you can watch all of Sean O'Malley's body of work, and you're going to come to the same conclusion every single time. Sean O'Malley's going to knock this guy out. The, the real question, the real debate was everyone was debating, is it going to happen in the first round or is it going to happen in the second round? First round was like minus 120, first round not good. Second round is three to one. No one's really considering the third round because they, I don't think Moutinho will make it that far. But almost universally, anybody who's backing this fight had to chase it. Uh, they were chasing it, Sean O'Malley, inside the distance. So the fight starts and Moutinho's coming after him, and that's great. He's just going to walk right into Sean O'Malley's hand, and he does. And then he does again. He does again, and then he does again. Oh my god, this guy's got a good chin. He's walking into everything, but uh, so was Thomas Almeida, and that's the thing with guys that are volume punchers as opposed to power punchers. A power puncher hits you clean one time, you're going to topple over. A volume puncher might have to hit you a hundred plus times, and then you're going to feel the effect. But in the end, the end result's always the same. You're going to feel the effect. I remember uh, Nick Diaz versus Frank Shamrock back in the day. Frank Shamrock had a great quote. He's like, he comes out here and he, he's hitting me with this pitter-powder stuff. He's like, and I'm honestly thinking none of this stuff hurts. 
this guy's got no punching power. He's like, and all of a sudden, about two, three minutes in, it's like, man, I, I don't know why I'm tired. I'm in good shape. I train hard for this fight. I'm also really tired. Like, and I, and I can't move. Can't, my, my legs aren't responding. And all of a sudden, it's like, I'm hurt. And all of a sudden, he's, he's stopped in the first round because Nick's just keep pouring it on you. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. It's like, it's, it's a volume punch. The first punch clear to the face. Oh, yeah, that's no big deal. But once you eat 20, 30 of them, and then your game starts to fall apart. Thomas Almeida, he walked through a lot of those shots, but eventually that one landed. With Moutinho, it's going to be the same thing. He's going to walk through these shots, but it's going to take its toll on him. And Sean O'Malley clips him at the end of the first round, hurts him. But Moutinho recovers. We got This has also got to be a 10-8 round. Let's be real. He completely cooled that Moutinho move forward. At this point, it was like, okay, the kid's a little reckless, but uh, he came to fight. You know, you give him props. Maybe he hasn't fully earned everyone's respect yet, but you give him his props. And uh, you know, he, he got dropped. It's, it's a 10-8 first round for Sean O'Malley. The second round, right, now Moutinho is still coming forward. And now o O'Malley's kind of like, I wouldn't say tired, just flustered. He's clearly given him all of his best blows. He's landed a couple knees in there for the mix. He lands a, a left high kick to the head. And this kid just keeps coming forward. Even when you sting him, you don't sting him and he taps, takes a step backwards. You sting him and he walks forward. But damage is starting to become a real thing at this point. In that second round, he is busted. Chris Moutinho's face is an absolute mess. By the end of the second round, it looks like he just was in a bad car accident and smacked a tree, right? And that's the sad thing about MMA. They basically pull him out of the car. Are you okay, man? You're concussed. Your face is a mess. You'd be like, oh, man, what the hell just happened? They'd be like, you got you to gotta fight this guy for five more minutes. Imagine going in the car crash, getting pulled out of the wreckage. you got to fight this guy for five more minutes. That, that takes heart. That takes commitment. That's why... I'm not a fighter. Could I do that? Could I have my nose broken? Could I have my jaw broken? Could I be bleeding everywhere? Could I know I'm down two rounds? Second round was a 10-9. First round was a 10-8. Uh, do you keep coming forward? You're fucked. You got a concussion? That's why I don't do it. That's why these guys do. That's why you always have to give them their utmost respect. And by that second round, Chris uh, Moutinho has earned everybody's respect. How could you not respect this guy? He's coming forward. He's taking O'Malley's best shots. This was not supposed to be a competitive fight. It's not, by the way. It's still not. But uh, he's a 10-1 favorite, right? You were supposed to get diced in the first round. A lot of people chased a 120 ticket on it. That's how confident they were. And uh, and he's still coming forward. Now this third round, not that he's going to turn the tides, but he's smiling. He's cheering. He's like, let's get after it. No, Madley, meanwhile, he's looking a little slower than he was. His legs looking a, you know, a few leg kicks, maybe buckled him a little bit. Not as bad as we've seen in the past, but he doesn't look ultra comfortable in there. It's that the style of chase this guy straight forward on a center line is never going to work against a guy with a speed and reach advantage that just fights well off his back foot. So O'Malley just baits him into the same trap over and over and over. And Moutinho's smiling. Moutinho's cheering. And Moutinho uh, is giving a good account of himself. And then there's 27 seconds left of this fight. I'm sure. That, I, I was so thankful I didn't bet that O'Malley inside the Dins. But I'm sure there was a lot of people who had an absolute sweat going on. How is this man taking 300 strikes and is still coming forward and is still seemingly okay? I'm about to lose... I'm about to lose the money on this ticket. This ticket's about to go up in flames. Only Herb Dean also had the same ticket. So all Herb was like, shit, 27 seconds, now's my chance. Stops. <laughs> all jokes aside, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. You. This is a fine line. This is a fine line. Because again, I'm not a fighter. So on one hand, you do have to save him from himself. He took a lot of damage. He was completely getting beat to pillar to post. He's not coming back in this fight. There's only 27 seconds now, so... The puncher's chance narrative is kind of off the table. He's in a bad spot. Not only did he just get in this car crash after round two, 
He's now just taking a lot more damage here. It's not getting any better for him. 27 seconds isn't a whole lot of time, but what's Sean O'Malley going to hit him with 10 more strong blows to the head? He's probably already got some swelling going on. You don't want to get this guy hurt. And it would be very, very bad optics for the UFC if they've never had somebody die or suffer a serious injury. But if this kid that you brought in on three days notice, who's a 10 to 1 underdog, who's hand selected by his opponent, happens to get seriously hurt here, you're in a lot of trouble. So in that sense, Herb did the right move. He saved the guy from himself. On the other sense, the guy's a fighter. This is his UFC debut. This is the biggest opportunity of his life. He's been fighting a long time, dude, almost 10 years. This is his Super Bowl moment. He went in there as a 10 to 1 underdog. And even though he's been shit kicked for the better part of 14 and a half minutes, his stock has risen amongst the fans. People will now remember who this guy is. They will now know his name. He's fought valiantly. He's taken all of his best shots. Do you not owe it to him? to allow him to go out on his shield those last 27 seconds? Do you not owe it to him to be able to have the fact that he went the distance with Sean O'Malley in that debut? Do you not owe it to him to be able to sit down someday with his grandchildren and say, hey, you know, Grandpa took a fight in three days' notice against a highly rated contender and took everything he had. Look at all the guys he was knocking out. Grandpa took everything he had, right? But then if you talk to Herb Dean and be like, he wouldn't even remember that story to tell his grandpa, his grandchildren, had I not saved him. And so that's a double-edged sword, right? And it's tough being a referee. It is. Um, but if you had an O'Malley inside the ticket, her, my man, you'd be so pumped up. You'd be so pumped up. I almost wish I had a ticket just to feel that uh, adrenaline rush. Because, of course, if you were holding a ticket, one guy said he had eight units on it. Like, fuck, could you imagine how that would feel? Uh, Irene Aldana versus Yadis Kunikaya. Again, we're on a massive high. Things are going real good, and I have almost zero interest in this fight. I had zero interest in this fight kind of to begin with. It's one of the tougher match fights on the card. It was striker versus grappler. The striker, you know, looks spotty at times. The grappler looks spotty at times. But the weight miss completely caused me to be like, I don't want any part of this. Unfortunate part about a PRP is that you got to you gotta include the entire card. So Kunitskaya is on the PRP. She's at the bottom end. Uh, you know, we're not going to lose a whole lot if she does not win this fight, but you know, I mean, still the gut feeling would be that she would probably be able to initiate those grappling exchanges and wear down all Don a little bit who Holly Holmes world-class, but the way she was taking her down there grappling her, at least there's a path there for Yannis Kunikaya and, uh, the five pounds seem to make a world of difference. Now you can't discredit Irene Aldana. She looked fantastic and you can't discredit Irene Aldana. When you miss weight, you need to go out there and score yourself a first round. If you miss weight and you have a bullshit performance, that's a, that's a double win, right? You don't want that. You want to erase the memory of, sorry guys, my bad, with a nice dominating performance. And so in those regards, she got the job done. But she looked so full of life, so full of energy. She looked strong. She looked big. And whenever Yannis Kunikai would even try to initiate the clinch, she would just like one hand her off. The punches, she was sitting down on them. They were landing. She busted Kunitskaya's nose almost immediately. Had her bleeding, had her desperate. Uh, Kunitskaya was fighting good. You know, she was throwing a lot of kicks and moving forward. But it's like you you don't have the firepower to stand up to all that. You knew this thing was done about two minutes in at this point and have much investment on it anyways. And uh, what could you do, right? I mean, the line would have skyrocketed towards Idalna after that first two minutes anyway. So it's just, it's a dead in the water fight. But you can't help but think, okay, well, if Aldana killed herself to make the limit, she wouldn't have that same bounce. She wouldn't have that same energy. The power wouldn't quite still be there. Those tie-up exchanges, you might have a lot more success in it. All around, if she had to sit in that sauna for another three hours, if she had to, if she had to sit in the hot bath another four or five more times to get an extra five pounds off, yeah, man, that does make a difference. Now, to the common person, 
if I said, oh, that person weighs 152 pounds and that person weighs 157 pounds, that's a fair fight. That's a fair fight for sure. That's your walk around weight, right? It's not exactly the same here. These people are cutting weight to get to the zone. Aldana's big, Aldana's strong, and Aldana's one of the better strikers in this division. If you're not able to take her down, it's going to be a problem. But beyond that, if she's feeling really good because she didn't have to make the weight cut, that she's going to be an absolute problem. That, that's exactly what happened here. She was feeling good. She was full. And uh, she absolutely just butchered Kurt's guy. So on a betting standpoint, I didn't really care. Um, I'm also very happy that I didn't go this fight goes the distance because I, I was almost certain it would go the distance. I thought Kurt's guy would try to grapple her. Aldana would try to matador and, you know, jab from the outside. But she absolutely cold cocked her and beat her the crap out of her. So, again, I was lucky that it was a mostly a stay away. But as far as the official picks goes, Kunitskaya did end up being the official pick. And that one was the wrong pick. Tai Tuivasa versus Craig Hardy. Uh, we got heavyweights. Now we're salivating. Now it's the meaningful fights. We got three fights left. Tickets are looking good. Props have been looking good. This is a very exciting night. Tons of entertaining fights. And we've got heavyweights on the line. Tai Tuivasa, the Shoei King. Uh, coming in, taking on Greg Hardy. Yeah, we know Greg Hardy's a much better athlete. We know that he's probably faster, uh, packs a hell of a punch because he's a big boy, and making improvements. You know, he can't take that away from his game. The big thing, though, is he just doesn't have the cardio, right? He's he's asthmatic. He tends to gas out about a round and a half in. And with Tai Tuivasa, you know, he's tough. Just don't go away. And that's that's the primary narrative here is that Ty will just eventually break him. I believed that you know, Ty would get the win, Ty would get the knockout win, but I believe that this would be a great live betting spot to get tie after the first round. Greg Hardy is faster than him. He's got a, he's got a massive like 82 inch reach. He's going to beat him with a punch. He's going to hit him with a few jabs. Um, he's going to, he's going to keep him honest, similar to the way he did against Marcin Tybora, a top ranked challenger in his last fight. He'll keep him honest in that first round. And then when he starts to tire, Ty will put him on. So I didn't expect Greg Hardy to look bad right off the get go, but boy, oh boy, Ty starts well, right? Landing with the light kicks. Good move. Mobilize this guy a little bit, get him hurt, get him a little bit desperate. But, uh, when you're that big, man, you have power. Because Hardy on the regional scene, he crushes guys in the first round. Nine seconds, 12 seconds, doesn't matter. Hardy in the UFC, the power is not right there. I wouldn't consider him one of the, the, the big knockout guys of the division. Um, but when you're six foot five, 265 pounds, move like the wind, yeah, you're capable of knocking out anybody. And so he uh, he, he touches the chin, big, big time right hand, ties wobbled, tied as the stanky leg. And then right as he rushes in to put the job away, it dawns on Ty. This is just a regular day in the gym sparring with Mark Hunt, man. Mark Hunt, the legend, the super Samoan. You know, you don't think he's blasted him with that right hand before. And so Ty does a stanky leg. And as he gets rushed in, he's clear-headed enough. He's got his wits in it. He has not done the four shoeys yet. So he's thinking straight. And uh, what a counter, man. The right hand glances, but it pulls him into the left hand. The left hand kind of only glances too. It wasn't flush on the chin. But when you're that big, it's high stakes, boys. And yeah, he puts him down. Now, again, you could have stopped it as soon as he hit the ground. Like Greg Hardy looked like he wasn't going anywhere. But you also give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's going to try to recover. The way he fought in the Tybura fight, once he's in a vulnerable position on the ground, he tends to cover up. And then sure enough, he was not only in a vulnerable spot here, but he was massively rocked. So Ty gets the win, super static. I did kind of think this one would go over one and a half because I thought Hardy would win that first round, slower pace. Ty breaks him late. And so Ty Tuivasa by knockout. Ty Tuivasa inside the distance. That over one and a half, that didn't hit. Ty's part of the parlays. He does a shoey. I'm pumped up. Even though my deal on the show this week uh, for Dogger Pass was that if Ty lost, I would do a shoey. Just the moment, you know, so badass. I'll do a shoey for you, Ty. So he he does the shoey, does his post fight. He's walking backstage, hits a shoey, boot, a dirty boot. I've seen Paul do worse, but 
a dirty boot. You can tell right away. He's like, oh, my God, what the hell was that? But then proceeds to go and hit one out of, like, an Air Jordan. And then uh, sees to hit, like, a, a fourth one out of that snake. So how could you not like this guy? And on top of all the theatrics, like, oh, he's doing shoeies. And he was online anyways on Instagram. He had been drinking beers, like, three, four weeks before the fight, hanging out at some, like, promotional events. Um, you know, it sounds like he doesn't take it super seriously. He looked in career best shape. When he came in, well, that sounds funny. He's got a lo lot of loose hanging um, skin. But that's only because he probably used to weigh, you know, 330 pounds. He was a very big guy. He's stretched out. And now you see as far as still being a big guy, he's 265 pounds. Uh, a lot of it's loose skin. Like he's gotten in shape. He's he's taking it seriously. He's still young. He's making improvements. This is now a three-fight winning streak. All three of those wins by first-round knockout. And uh, he's becoming a crowd favorite. Maybe he's, he is already a crowd favorite. But the UFC is getting behind him. They book him with some of these fun fights. Uh, he'll, he'll work his way up. You know, can he... You know, him versus Derek Lewis would be a great fight, but just not right now. You know, give him give him two more, give him three more, let him build up, and then eventually he's going to have those fights with those guys. You don't throw him in there with Volkov. You don't throw him in there with Curtis Blades. You don't throw him in there with anybody that's going to be a serious problem for him. You know, him versus Stipe would be super fun, but you don't do it now. Stipe kills him now. Give him two, three more fights. Let him build. Let him continue working on this physique. And he's fun. At the very least, he's a fun heavyweight. Like, the UFC doesn't have a ton of those guys. And uh, yeah, I, I, how could you not like him? Hardy, meanwhile, it's another devastating setback. It's not a, a good result, but that's the bitch of MMA. Like he'll go back to the tape and be like, oh yeah, I rocked him. And then instead of bull rushing in, I should he's on, he's stanky legging, man. You take a step back, you blast him in the face with that long jab of yours. You keep him honest. Then you come back with that same right hand and put the job away. Who knows? The junior fight, he actually, it's a flash knockout. He gets hit. He tumbles. He covers up real quick. The fight's over. And right away, he regains his wits. So storming him real quick before he could recover seems like the move for sure. But uh, that's the crazy thing about MMA. So I call this one Pat Berry versus Chike Congo light because Chike was so much more hurt, let's be real. Uh, but it's it's that it's that same narrative. Just because the guy, the dog's hurt doesn't mean he's out. You know, the old saying is the dog most dangerous when you back him into a corner, a hurt dog in a corner. That's when he's going to come out fighting, right? Yeah, when Ty was hurt and you came in, he didn't he didn't shell up. He didn't pull an Alistair Overeem where he's like, I'm just going to shell defense against the cage and try to wait this one out. Like the second Greg came at him, it was like, nope, and he throws back. And then in his post fight, he's like, I ain't the guy. I ain't the guy. I was like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You know, you ain't the guy to rush in with blindfolded him. Crazy knockout. Again, sweet result. Now it just comes down to who's going to shit in the apple pie. We're two fights away. We're going to hit like four blocks of tickets. The best one being like 140 to one. The night's gone very, very well. They're good fights. They're exciting. You know, everything's going well. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Donald Trump entered the building and it wasn't, he didn't cause anything. Is that he came for the last two fights. This car has been sick. Great fights whole way through. As a fight fan, that's why you get there for the early prelims. But these celebrity guys... Oh, Connor's on in an hour. Well, we'll sip our syrup in the limo and then we'll go over. And, you know, you got Jared Leto. What was Jared Leto wearing? Man? But it's all about we'll come in, we'll watch the big fights. And then the last two fights really didn't deliver. This card was sick. And then, you know what? I lost the bet. That's probably part of the reason why I don't think it was so sick. But it just wasn't a very good fight. So Gilbert Burns versus Stephen Thompson. Again, was I too high on Thompson? Clearly, clearly too high on Thompson, but I thought he would evade the takedowns. He did much better cardio, better striker. The thing with Gilbert Burns is that he would probably overexert himself in the first round, tire, start to get touched up. The takedowns aren't there. He's going to get beat. You can make the comment, oh, well, he went five rounds of Tyron Woodley, but Woodley didn't push any type of pace on him. 
You know, Wonder Boy's a guy that moves a lot. You're tracking him down is a problem. If you don't track him down, you stay stationary. You know, he's going to try to overwhelm you a little bit. Uh, trying to take him down is going to be a problem because he, he, he's slippery. He gets away. When he does get taken down, he's pretty good off his back, not in terms of submitting, not in terms of uh, striking, but like he's pretty decent of staying defensively sound, not taking too much damage, and eventually working his way back up. First round starts. Thompson's very tentative. Like maybe he's waiting for that takedown. Maybe he's waiting for uh, Gilbert Burns to explode with those, you know, those big combination punches, similar to what he did to Kamaru Usman, but he's not really looking to engage him. I think he's doing slightly the better body of work, say for the first two minutes, but nothing's actually happening. So Burns eventually presses him up against the cage. And this is our huge problem. Number one is that Mark Goddard's ref in the fight. And again, terrible referee, but Mark Goddard's not going to separate the position. Some guys get a little antsy and it's like, well, you're not doing anything. They'll separate. He, he's not going to help you out. So Stephen Thompson had nowhere to go. Gilbert Burns wasn't really trying to take him down, but he was chest to chest and he was really tight and he's just bear hugging him against the cage. This effectively kills like two minutes off the clock. Now it's his rap, even though the striking just nothing really happened. So Burns is controlling this fight against the cage. Nothing's happening up against the cage, but he's in the advantage position. And then just for good measure, you know, 90 seconds left, he does score the takedown. Scores the takedown, establishes position. He's got Wonderboy down. Wonderboy's not doing anything. Again, he's not really doing anything himself. Wonderboy eventually does work his way back up, but that's the end of the round. And it's a Gilbert Burns round. Not a terrible round for Wonderboy. Certainly lost it, but you're going to need to keep this fight standing going forth second round burns does look tired right away he's moving a lot different he's not crashing forward with those same combinations he's not searching for that takedown early wonder boy's not really engaging him though i think he's winning the striking exchanges again the early portion of that round but he's not running away with it he's landing he's landing nothing sharp nothing devastating nothing that's hurting it's mostly just pitter patter couple shots at a time maybe a kick the hook kick came close the sidekick landed a few times, but it, it, it was not, it was no big moments. And so now there's a minute left in this round and it's a Steven Wonderboy Thompson round at this point, but it's just not a runaway round for Steven Thompson. So there's one minute left and Burns wakes up and Burns just crashes forward with a couple combinations. And I'll tell you what, he does land two shots in that last minute that were more significant than anything Wonderboy had landed. So bias clearly bias i need the second round i'm still going to give it for wonder boy and then bam takedown right at the end of the second so now we've got a tough difficult situation my heart tells me gilbert burns won that second round i'm down oh and two i'm in a lot of trouble this should have been a five round fight it's a co-main event on the biggest card of the year uh you just did nate diaz versus leon uh, edwards and the third fight down not even the co-main event as a five rounder and this is a number one contender fight thompson wins this fighting for a title and they book it for three. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble here that if I'm down 0 and 2. But again, they put up those tweets and like somebody had it, somebody had it 2018 Burns, but a couple people are drumming up the narrative that this is 1 1. And I, I'm feeling good about this 1 1 because in this third round, Burns is tired. He goes to his corner after the second, and right away, Henry Hoof is like, What's wrong with you? Did he hurt you? Did he hurt you, hit you with something that hurt you? And Burns, Burns immediately says back to him, No, he didn't hit me with anything that hurt me. And he's just like, what are you doing? You need to throw combination and close distance in the takedown. You get the takedown whenever you let the combinations go. Fucking sound advice, man. Really good advice. Too good of advice, Henry. What are you doing? This whole fight was predicated on him getting that takedown. And so the third round starts, and he doesn't really take Henry's advice right away. You know, similar to the second. See, the first round, you get the takedown halfway through. It's a money round for you. The second round, you waited until the last 30 seconds to get the takedown. And it ends in a Don Fry Takayama situation. They're just hitting themselves in the face. 
That all favored Burns. He was in the advantageous position. His punches are doing something. Watch the replay. I don't even think Stephen Thompson hit him once. Not a good position. But you won the first with that takedown. You won the second. You waited too long. But you, in my opinion, you did steal the, bat, the round back. So why not just go out there and shoot the takedown right away? But he doesn't, you know? He, he stands with them the first two, three minutes, and that that's to his detriment. Like, Wonderboy's got more in the tank. He's a lot more aggressive now because he's thinking, you know what? I might need to finish in this spot, and he's on him. Lands the hook kick, hurts him, drops Burns. Burns is hurt now. I, I need to finish, but I would also take a 10-8 round. I would take a push on this, right, if, if I lost the first two. Also, I don't know for sure that I lost that second round. So quite simply, just doing what you're doing right now might be enough. Henry Hoove was an excellent cornerman because he said exactly that. Just get that takedown. And so this is why this fight is actually very difficult to score, right? Myself personally, yeah, I guess you could have a 30-27 Burns. He won the first. The second was very close. And the third, he's dropped. He's knocked down. He's clearly hurt. He scores a takedown. He does nothing with the takedown. He just quite simply holds him there. Only it's Mark Goddard that's roughing it. So he's not going to do anything to help Stephen Thompson out. He's not going to stand this thing up. He's going to let it stay in this exact position. And so what do you favor as a judge? Do you favor a knockdown and some damage? Or do you favor the guy lying on top of him for two minutes? You know, that was, wasn't great. But now 10-second clapper goes. I got this round, Stephen Thompson. He did the damage. 10-second clapper goes. Burns decides, you know what? 10 seconds. Unleash on him. And then smacks him in the back of the head three or four times. A couple of them landed on the shoulder. But just, again, it, it's all... It all it's all the perception. What does it look like to the judges? The judges have just watched a guy be lied on for two minutes, and now with 10 seconds left, he's eating about nine or 10 donkey, donkey punches. Bang, 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 right? Goes Donkey Kong on his ass. They don't really notice that three or four of them hit in the back of the head. Mark Goddard, who's got a great position to see it, he doesn't really care either. You know Stephen Thompson has now lost his fight. What I say is why it's interesting fight to score is if you did have it 1-1, people did have it 1-1. A lot of people had it 1-1. If you did have it 1-1, isn't there not an argument that Stephen Thompson won that third round? He got the knockdown. He landed the damage. And he got lied on. So to me, it really comes down to the judges. I could have got a greasy split decision win out of this on some bad commission. You know, if they were in Texas or they were in New Mexico. New Mexico's fucking awful. If they're in one of those commissions, yeah, yeah. Well, why not say, well, it was 1-1. And then the karate guy hurt him, dropped him. And the tired, desperate Brazilian guy clung on for dear life, took him down. And held him. Oh, and then in the last tag and seconds, he punched him in the back of the head three times for good measure. Like, but that's just all sour grapes shit. I lost. I know I lost. Lost those parlay tickets. Sucks. Um, yeah, what, what can you do? I mean, the props have still been good, going good. The fights have been going good. You know, we're, we're on a pretty good stretch. It's just, I want somebody that's sitting in the bar that had $20 to bet on the card to walk away with a thousand bucks. You know, I don't want to give some, oh, I'll tell you what, dude, this is, this is a lock. It's even money. Well, I got $50 to bet. Well, you could walk away with 50 bucks in your pocket. Like that, that's how that's bankroll management. That's how you do it long-term. I get that personally, but I know there's a lot of people out there. It's their Saturday night. They got the wife and kids are uh, in bed. They got $20, $30. They got $50. Do you think that same person wants to make $50 or do you think they want to have a nice little parlay? hits big and that's exactly what this is going to pay a couple thousand dollars regardless Stephen thompson loses so uh this is a big 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 setback for him he was being drummed up in the narrative of potentially getting a title shot <clears throat> i mean he's kind of the last style that uzman hasn't really fought they're looking for interesting new challengers he's 38 years old uh even though he doesn't really seem to be slowing down quite yet it's going to happen at some point people are going to take advantage of him at some point it would have been interesting the high insight 
is it would not have been interesting at all because if Gilbert Burns is taking you down and controlling you like that, Usman was going to take you down and control you uh, type 10. It was going to be a massive, massive problem. So yeah, I guess Stephen Thompson would not have been a good challenger. But at least had he won this fight in some way that uh, he could have gotten a world title fight, a huge spot for him, huge opportunity late in his career, all that he's wanted. That's why he should have been booked as a five round. Let, let the guy fight for it. But what can you do? For Gilbert Burns, you just pick up a huge win over Stephen Thompson, who was one of the number one challengers, like one of the top guys. You know, this is a, a huge bounce back performance for you from a title shot. All good stuff, but I, I would say his stock went down. I have, I don't have a ton of, I don't know who they'll book him against, but I don't have a ton of interest in, uh, in, in this guy. If they booked him against his own teammate, Vincente Luque, hell, if they gave him Michael Chiesa, I, I, I'm not betting Burns. He looked tired. His striking looked very meh. When he did get the fight to the ground, he was unable to do anything other than hold him down. In a five-round fight, I, I think the wheels will completely fall off the wagon. It was not a very good performance. However, that doesn't matter in MMA. What matters is you picked up your show money and your win money. And so he did exactly what he needed to do. Henry Hoof gave him the exact advice he needed to hear. And for anybody who bet Gilbert Burns, your boy did exactly what he needed to do. How could you not love that? Fortunately, he wasn't my boy on this night. So I'm going to take pot shots at, it's a cheapy, cheapy win, man. Fight him like a man. Unfortunately, that's not reality. So moving on to Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor had that mentality. Fight me like a man. Do not take me down and not kick my leg. And, and you know, dude, Poirier was actually striking. I know McGregor thinks he was uh, boxing him up, but it was pretty competitive standing for the first few minutes. Poirier's landing the bigger shots. Again, McGregor's bouncing a little bit more. He's a little bit faster. Nothing he landed really hit the mark. He did land one good left cross. But again, what we have seen in the rematch, first time that left cross lands, Poirier topples over. The rematch, he landed about three times. Every time he landed, Poirier just took it and marched forward. And so now that you know, oh shit, that, that mystic math, deck, the death touch, it's not there anymore. You know, if the guys are going to walk through his punches, then that, that's how you break him. We've seen him broken before. You know, Nate Diaz is able to break him. Even the rematch, everyone keeps saying how he pulled through. Like, you see in the middle part of that round how he completely falls apart. And you just saw this fight six months ago. It doesn't pour his best shots, walked through them, and broke him. So, I mean, the narrative's pretty drummed up for you right there. And Yeah, Max bouncing a little bit. He does land the left hand, which I didn't think hurt Poirier, but Poirier acknowledged it afterwards and been like, yeah, yeah, definitely stung me, got my attention. But yeah, he was landing well back himself. And then when he shoots for the takedown, well, that's the easy money way to beat Conor McGregor, is it not? And this goes back to these guys are not there. It's an entertainment business. But the sole, the sole purpose of fighting is not to entertain the crowd. It's to get the win, you know? In boxing, is to hit and not be hit. Well, who wants to hit? Who wants to see one guy not get hit for an entire fight? That's stupid. But that's the object, right? That's, that's the objective. That's the main mission of the fight. So with Dustin Poirier, it's like, yeah, he's doing good striking, but like he did this in the first fight. Use the takedown to wear on him, tire him out, and that'll open up the striking. It'll open up the leg kick, less movement. He's more tired. His, his shots, they're not coming back as quick. I can counter off of him. It's all part of the game plan. Only this time, the takedown does work. It works easy. And then he gets right on him, and then he starts to batter him with elbows. He's kicking his ass pretty much the entire time, right? Uh, end of the round, McGregor gets up. And yeah, I don't know. He, he steps back right away. You see the ankle drop right under him. So interesting, right? Because Poria will claim that it was the check kick that led to the crack. McGregor will, will claim your wife's a hoe. 
Will we ever know what caused it? Maybe not. You know, you don't really see a whole lot of guys just bounce and the ankle blow up. You do see it, but not a break, right? More like a Michael Chandler, more like some guys, um, you know, the nerve from a low kick will, will shoot the leg out and all of a sudden there's, you can't put any pressure on it. You can't put any weight on it. We've seen that before, but very few times you're just bouncing. And he mentioned to Joe Rogan, he was like, just like Anderson Silva. It's like, well, not really, not anything like Anderson Silva. See, Anderson Silva kicked and his leg shattered in half. You took an awkward step backwards and your ankle shattered. So I have seen it happen to Phil Baroni in 1FC, but a right hand caused him to drop. And when you get hit and you're, you go dead weight on the ankle, snap of the ankle, this is just like he took a bad step backwards. It really did save him. I mean, he got his ass kicked in the first round. I don't think the second and the third round were going to go any better. And if you know anything about Dustin Poirier, he was going to be there until the last bell. Like he's a junkyard dog. So this saves face for him because now he can just, yo, well, like, you know, I broke my leg. But he handled it so bad, man. Connor was a fan favorite because he talked a great game and he backed it up. Went in the ring and he backed it up. If you are unable to back up those words, it's still okay. Chael Sutton did it for years, man. He was the best talker. And then he would routinely go out there and lose. But who gives a shit? Connor's actually lost both of those things. He's not an entertaining talker anymore, and he's not a top-level mixed martial artist. He used to be sharp and witty, uh, you know, off the tongue. He'd say something, he'd have a quick comeback. He all had all these one-liners that are just classic that people still to this day bring up, you know, and, and stuff that's random, like stuff that you can't rehearse, the who the fuck is this guy, like all of that stuff. And it all just lends to the legend of Mystic Mac. You know, he's calling the first-round knockouts and he's delivering. He's larger than life. He's spending the money. He's a mixed martial artist. comes out of nowhere, comes out of obscurity. He's collecting welfare in Ireland, social security, whatever. Now you're in the UFC collecting bonuses, making this money. Like it's, it's, it's a great story, but part of it's the wit and part of it's the skill. If you have the skill, but no wit, yeah, you'll still go far, but not the highest level. If you've got the, the, the ability to talk shit, but not really the ability to back it up, you still go far again, just as we talked about Chelsea, my boy, Phil Baroni for that matter. Um, but it, but if you have both of those, if you have none of those things, you're fucked. If you have both of those things, you're a superstar, right? And and that's where you know Ronda could talk some shit, back it up. Connor could talk some shit, back it up. What you notice in the entire lead up of this fight, in fact, the last fight, it's he's all buddy buddy. You know, oh yeah, we're doing this for charity. If you beat me, I'll donate half a million dollars. All is good. There's no great moments out of him. There's no classic zingers. He loses the fight. Now he's reinvigorated. Now he's got the fire in his ass. Now he doesn't want to do any media, but he's agreed to do this press conference. And um, it was all canned. You know, it was all it was all forced out. He just looked either like he was having a bad wake up, which at 155, I really don't think was the case. People mentioned the fact that it looked like, you know, I don't know, anxiety. It could be anxiety, right? That affects everybody. And now, fuck, dude, I've lost a couple fights. I'm, I'm going to open up these pubs. McGregor's chain restaurant pubs who the fuck's gonna go there bud you know you're you're turning into anderson silva you're turning into bj penn you're ruining your own legacy the longer you continue to do this i know you're fighting the best guys in the world and so to me like his legacy is still dope he's the best 45 of all time but the longer you continue to do this you know the odds are going to be heavily stacked against you so you come in here the talk wasn't there. Now Now that the talk's not there anymore, now that it wasn't the McGregor of old, it wasn't that quick stuff, it was the business guy that was here to, to be an entertainer, it's like you're going to have to back it up in the performance. And then he does not back it up in the performance. And now it's time. Everybody's got to do it. I had to do it after Thompson lost. Time to eat a slice of humble pie, my friend. You know, you're wrong. I was wrong. We get it. 
It's time to acknowledge that you were wrong. But then, then he takes a squirrely way out, you know. They give the microphone to Dustin first. Of course, he just won the fight, so why is he going first? But I get it. It's the theatrics. You want to hear what McGregor has to say second. But they talk to Dustin Poirier, and he's got no ill will towards this guy. He calls him a dirtbag. He calls him a shitty human being. But he tells me he's like, I, I thought everything was good until he started talking about killing me. He's going to kill me. He's going to get me a coffin. I'm going to die. This is serious shit, man, because they do risk their lives. They are getting there. Chris Moutinho is probably going to go get a CT scan just to make everything's okay. You don't know what's going to happen in there. It's the most dangerous sport in the world. And competitors, again, that's why you have to give them the respect. They risk it to go on there. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's got a family. He runs a charity. You're going to kill him? This man is just to die? This is a fucking good dude and a competitor. And without him... You want to go fight Cerrone again? Why don't you fight Diego Sanchez? Like, you need him just as much as he needs you. And I get selling a fight, but the fight has been sold. And the fight's over. And so he says, you know, that rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, but I hope he goes home healthy to his beautiful family. Some humble shit. Dustin Poirier's a good dude. Now you give the microphone to Conor McGregor, and it's like, uh, this ain't over. No, my friend. <laughs> It is over. They could book it as a boxing match. I consider that. I would actually like to see it as a boxing match because clearly Connor can't stuff the takedown. He's not going to fight well off his back. And it, it, don't leg kick him. But if you were strictly going to throw hands with him in a six round exhibition, he could win. If this was eight, 10, or 12, I still think Dustin Poirier just marches him down and beats his ass. Um, <clears throat> but, I, I, you know, now that you know, oh, geez, he's just going to take him down. Oh, oh geez, he's just going to get his leg kicked. It's not as interesting. So when he shouts out, this isn't over, it's like, yeah, it kind of is over, man. Yeah, it's only 2-1 Dustin Poirier, but he's won the most two recent ones, uh, pretty spectacular fashion. And you're now going to rehab this leg for six or eight months. Then you're going to get back into a training camp. Realistically, if you were to fight him again a year down the road, and that's the same problem Connor's been having. He fights once every year, year and a half, loses, and then says, well, you know, you got to compete more regularly. Okay, well, the last one was six months ago, so this is your chance to compete regularly. And now you, you lost, and you broke your leg, or shattered your ankle, whatever it is. What do you come back to? What do you come back to? And when you do come back, fight Diego Sanchez. Fight Donald Cerrone. Fight Anthony Pettis. I don't give a shit, but do not go out there and fight Dustin Poirier again. Stop talking shit to Khabib. You're not fighting Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather. Like, get a realistic grasp of the situation, my man. And I know part of the reason is these guys chill, you know? He can be on a losing streak and be like, undisputed champ, world, baddest man, Westland, Oregon. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like his shit was cheap, you know? It was cheap. It, was, it re just reeked of cheap suit, you know? Your wife's a hoe. She's in my DMs. Is that all you got, man? Fuck you. We're so much better than that. You're so much bigger than that. But money kills. Money kills. And so at the end of the day, I might have been an asshole had Stephen Thompson won because I had another one. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Fun fights, good fights. The co-main event and the main event definitely was pretty anticlimactic end to the night, I will admit. But outside of that, I think it was fun. The reads weren't totally off. We're going to bang one of these eventually. Uh, I thought it was a great way to start the partnership with the DraftKings Sportsbook, which I'm very happy to be a part of. Also, thanks to you guys tracking this video over to the Mayo Media Network, and thanks to him for giving me the platform, allowing me to uh, reach a wider audience. That was the recap. Uh, again, I would love to come here with, uh, you know, I don't know, balloons and confetti and uh, a bottle of champagne, but we're going to have to get there in due time. We've always got another offering coming up, and that is going to be the case here, another UFC next weekend, and so we'll have to right the ship and get things going.
Appreciate all the time as always. That was the official UFC 264 recap brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Cody Saftik. Until the next time, hopefully we have some better news. See you then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.